Life Happens Weekdays 1 to 3 p.m. Six minutes after two o'clock. Thank you so much for staying with us. So on Monday, uh, a Bio-Africa convention begins and it will be a two-day affair. All professionals within the sector of medicine, of agriculture and so on will be gathering to discuss some very important things, especially during this COVID-19 pandemic. One of the sessions will actually be streamed live here on Life Happens on Monday between 1 to 3 o'clock. We'll give you those details a little bit later on. But I'm joined on the line by Dr. Ntantlam Somi, who is the president of Africa Bio, who are the conveners of this convention, the Bio-Africa Convention 2020. Good afternoon and thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Msomi. Good afternoon, Pamela, and good afternoon to your listeners. Thank you. So for the context of those of us who are very lay and, and need a bit of help in understanding, talk to us about what biotechnology is. What is biotechnology? Um, as the name suggests, um, it's a technology that is underpinned by life sciences. So it is not in the research space, but in the life sciences innovation space. And that is why when you made the introduction, you mentioned healthcare and agriculture, because those two sectors, as diverse as they seem, are underpinned by one thing, which is the life form that directs the DNA, RNA, nucleic acid. And biotechnology is really um, a, 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 a convergence of all of those sectors that are driven by nucleic acids and molecular biology. And that's why it's biotechnology. So if you think about the breakfast that you ate this morning, whether it was cereals and all of those uh, nice things, they would have been produced using biotechnology, um, starting from normal plant breeding to GMOs. If you think about the vaccines that you got as a child, those are biotechnology uh, manufactured. That, in a sense, is biotechnology. It's the technology that pulls together all of these different strands of life forms that to a person do not look related, but ultimately they are driven by one single generic code. Then explain to us, for those of us who, who are still learning, why then does it have such a bad rap, for instance, particularly in, in the agricultural sector? Um, thank you for asking that question, because... One of the speakers that is coming to the convention, e-coming, I must add, is Sir Richard Roberts, one of the pioneers of, in biotechnology. Um, he won the Nobel Prize for Medicine uh, in 1993. And his plenary uh, presentation will be on explaining why biotechnology and GMO seeds develop the bad rap, as you call it, and that actually it has nothing to do with science, with the underpinning science, that a lot of the challenges that we have around their reputation have a lot to do with geopolitical tensions. And that the real fight in terms of how GMO became bad was about the fight between the U.S. and the European countries and seed uh, industries. So in reality, a biotech or a GMO seed is not too different from one that is naturally bred. All that has happened with the GMO seed is that instead of waiting for a million years 
for a plant to acquire naturally through natural selection, mm. to acquire the traits that we want for productivity, high productivity, you engineer it in the lab. And so you accelerate the process of getting the good foods and of getting the foods that we now consume without even realizing. Even, even if you took those plants into the lab and analyzed them against old indigenous um, seeds, mm-hmm. um, what we call um, the progenitor seeds, there is no difference because DNA is DNA whether it's been engineered or not. And in fact, engineered food in some cases is more safer and more healthy than non-engineered food. One big issue that Dr. Uh, Sir Richard Roberts will address Mm -hmm. is the issue of golden rice. Um, Quite a a large number of children um, die every year globally Mm -hmm. due to vitamin A deficiency. Mm. And um, biotechnology has a solution to that to engineer vitamin A that will upregulate uh, the production of that in rice, and rice is consumed by a lot of people, particularly people who are in the lower LSM, mm-hmm. or people who are in marginalized communities. And these are some of the promises that biotechnology uh, has uh, for humanity, to try and level the playing field between the rich and the poor. And lo and behold, the people who are particularly opposed to biotech mm-hmm. are people who are who can afford um, foods like organic foods and all of those things. I don't know if you noticed that organic foods are a hell of a lot more expensive yep. Yep. than your normal food. Um, for a lot of people, they don't have a choice. And the other thing that I want to highlight is that biotechnology reduces the cost of production of these foods, not just the foods, but also the pharmaceuticals. I mean, it, it, for me, it makes perfect sense why we should be invested in understanding this more in a continent that is battling with water security, in a, conf- in a continent which is battling with malnutrition, as you said, and especially now COVID-19 presenting itself with all sorts of other problems. It's, it's imperative for us to not only understand it, but adopt the, the attitude of embracing biotechnology. Thanks for pointing that out. And here's the kicker for us. Um, We originally conceptualized the convention because of precisely that. Biotechnology as a new technology, it's less than 50 years old, um, means that you do not have long-established vested interest in the technology space with regards to infrastructure, sunk investments like in um, engineering-driven fields. It's all in the mind. And a lot of the biotechnology patents that were that established the industry have come off patents and have fallen off, which means that countries and continents like Africa, certainly we've seen it in India and we're seeing it in China, can be able to um, drive their own innovation, their research, mm-hmm. to produce enough drugs for themselves, enough food for themselves, without having to depend on global value chains. Mm. And this year you mentioned COVID. One big thing, I'm sure your listeners would agree, one big thing that we've seen in COVID, the biggest controversies, has been swirling around testing. Mm-hmm. There's been around, why are we not testing? Should we be testing? And all of those things. And there was a crisis at some point when our National Health Laboratory Services was being accused of not testing enough people. Mm. And guess what? The reason they couldn't, it's because we have to import all of these tests. And then to a power technologies, 
these tests can be made in Africa or in South Africa, and some of the African countries like Senegal, they've gone a long way to try and do stuff for themselves. Rwanda as well was very successful, and they'll be sharing um, their lessons with us when the conference starts. So, so you have you have innovators um, that are that are saying exactly what you are saying now that are coming to the party. But do we do we have funders to back the capacity that's required in this continent? Yes and yes. So money tends to follow opportunity, and money tends to be agnostic to the type of opportunity it is, except where you have ethical codes about investments. The challenge that we've always had in innovation has been the fact that we innovate because we are attracted by uh, the profile of the science, what we call sexy things and things that are, are, are good looking, instead of innovating at the bottom of the pyramid. Mm. And I will make an example, and it's an example that is very personal to myself because I'm diabetic and I've been taking insulin for the past 25 years. Um, Insulin is out of reach for almost everybody except those that are privileged, that uh, that have got the resources. And yet the standard or the global standard of healthcare for anyone who's been diagnosed as diabetic is to start insulin as quickly as possible. If you're in the public sector, you won't be getting any insulin. And yet insulin can be manufactured here. Insulin's patents and all of those things have been out of patent for the longest time. We don't manufacture it in our continent. And I bet if I told an investor tomorrow that I can manufacture insulin, and this is how we've um, lined up the market, money will come, will come flocking into that. So it's a mismatch of us innovating, but that innovation not being matched to the market. All right, so I beg your pardon, Dr. Msomi. We just had a technical glitch there. We've got a call, Dr. Msomi, if you don't mind taking it. It's coming from Uppington. It's Aisha. Aisha, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Aisha. To you Welcome. and your guests and, and the listeners. I would just like to know by that, by that gentleman, is biotechnology what we need to use to multiply indigenous plants? Dr. Msomi? Yeah, thank you for that call, because it turns out that in the convention itself, on day two, we will be talking about indigenous knowledge systems and natural products. And we have case studies from India, from China. Uh, If you went to India tomorrow or China, you will realize that quite a lot of the medical or healthcare needs are fulfilled using natural products in those countries. And if you are thinking about indigenous plants and you think about tissue culture, you should be able to use biotechnology to improve the yield, to improve the productivity, and to make agro-processing of those plants much more uh, viable from a commercial perspective. So yes, biotechnology is the answer to ensuring that indigenous knowledge systems, indigenous plants, uh, both plants and let's say um, animals and microorganisms that are used because there's a lot of work that goes on in improving microorganisms that we consume without realizing it so if you consume yogurt in the main yogurt is uh, a a starting uh, um, process of uh, milk 
uh, infused with bacterial cultures. The better yogurts that you buy that are more expensive have been engineered to produce cultures that are much better, to produce better taste. So yes, biotechnology across the board, it's not just the serious science, medicine and big GMOs, it is a technology that is accessible to anything and any product that has DNA or RNA or a nucleic acid as the driver of cellular processes. Dr. Msomi, the plenary begins on Monday with a really uh, illustrious panel of ministers as well as uh, learners and and scholars in biotechnology. But you are focusing a lot on what the continent can teach us from the learnings of Ebola, for instance, in COVID-19. Can you give us the details of what time this plenary begins? Um, So the conference starts on Monday at half past eight. And it will start with a plenary with the ministers of health and the minister of science and innovation. It will feature Professor Salim Abdul Karim, who we know uh, is the driver of our response to COVID. And by unanimous acclaim, we've done a hell of a lot better as a country than most countries, especially the developed countries. Mm-hmm. And it has Dr. Lawrence Banks as well from the International Center for Genetic Engineering. So the, the, the first part is really talking about policies and what we need to do to develop our own products. And particularly Professor Salim Abdul Karim's um, uh, session or presentation will talk to how our technology can free us from over-dependence on important, on important products. Mm. The track then is followed by new technologies that have been developed, antigen antibody tests. Uh, and, and some of the innovations around pooling methods. And these are presented by local innovators. When I say local, I mean African continent. And what type of new diagnostics we need to be innovating? Because for Ebola, the reason Ebola was so devastating was because it was, and it's a peculiarly African challenge, um, if Ebola happened in the U.S. or anywhere else in the world, you would have had tests and drugs for it in next to no time. If we look at how COVID, how, how we've made advances in COVID, um, let's say with vaccines, the vaccines are coming out at the beginning of next year. These are the earliest times. Nowhere in the history of humankind have we ever been able to produce a vaccine in less than 10 years. Hmm. Nowhere. You can look at it any way you want to look at because it takes that long. But with resources that we have and with the fact that it affects the globalized north, the developed globalized north, the resources that have been thrown in are going to show us um, that in reality the resources also drive the speed with which we do these things. Dr. Msomi, um, just give us the details of how people can register to attend. The registration is on our website, which is Af- which is africapire.com, www.africapire.com. I really appreciate it. That is Dr. Ntlantlamsomi, President of Africa Bio, and their convention is called Bio Africa Convention 2020.